Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are continuing with our slog through Systematic Theology 3. (laughs) Hey, you alliterated. Did I? Slog through Systematic... Well, eh, close enough. Close enough. That's the closest I'll ever get. Anyhow, <laughs> I, I do not do that well. Anyhow, uh, we have been carefully discussing church, uh, the biblical information related to church leadership or church government. Uh, and we've shown you the basic character of a true leader, the non-negotiable qualifications of a true leader, the roles of that true leader, uh, the reality of the plurality of true leadership in elders, and the responsibility that each believer has toward their leaders. That's quite a bit. Um, so now we're going to consider another aspect of it uh, in the form of the office of the deacon. Um, it's an office in the church that actually is often overlooked or at least misunderstood. In fact, you're the younger of us. What's what's your experience, of, if any, with the whole deacon office? Well, the church I grew up in, uh, they had a board of deacons. But they, and they were actually kind of like the. But it was a Baptist church. It was Baptist church, yeah. But they were essentially the leaders of the church. Um, they didn't have elders formally, uh, so there, I remember there was a deacons ministry, and then there were also a group of people called the trustees. And it was never clear to me the difference between the two. I'm assuming one was more financial. Usually, but, trustees are that. Yeah, but so the deacons were always, I mean. The big decision makers. I mean, it was congregational rule, but they were the big influencers, and so that's kind of my experience with them. Well, yeah, um, Bruce, our friend uh, and co-laborer, he's a associate pastor. He just retired from our church, but he's still doing it. Um, the church prior to coming to uh, Missio, they had board of elders, a board of deacons. I believe they had a trustee board and a board of governors, Jeez, and I'm t- it made my head swim. Uh, Trump, yeah, and it was it really was it it uh, you know just the way decisions were made, but not really ever really made. Um, yeah, in a typical Baptist, the elder is the pastor, uh, and then the deacons are the deacons, and but it's still congregational rule. Uh, but it's weird because in the Baptist church. Uh, oftentimes deacons function sort of like a quasi-elder, quasi-deacon board. I don't think they do either one well necessarily, Um, but hopefully we can explain why when we talk about what what the heck is a deacon? Um, I don't know if people in who are listening if they have deacon boards. We we don't have one at Missio. It's not for lack of trying. We we tried over the years three different times. I I made an official effort to get it going, and each time it just died on the vine, if you will. Um, 
and I never have lost a lot of sleep on it. Part of it will make it, uh, make the point um, when we get to Titus uh, and the fact that in Titus qualifications for elders, but not for deacons. Why? Um, so I never lost a lot of sleep over because I didn't think that it was really a great necessity. Um, but also because I think functionally, you got every, it. Yeah, yeah. It, it happens, especially in a healthy church. People are functioning in that role. Even mm-hmm. even churches that don't have elders, they say, well, we, we don't do that. It's like you do, um, whether you like it or not. You may not have qualified ones because you've never spent that time, but you have men who are um, shepherding that church that are looked to instinctively by the rest of the church to guide and 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 help and direct the church. So, um, for so for both of us, we don't have deacons in in our churches, and uh, it is something that I'm again wanting to move toward um, because I do see the need and the necessity for it. But it's not a commanded office. It's not like a church must have a deacon board. Sure. But but it is something that the scripture talks about. So we're going to start first off with a very brief introduction by giving you uh, uh, several pieces of information just about the idea of deacon. All of this will then allow us to actually consider three key questions that are related to the deacon. Um, First is, from where did deacons come? Second, who may be a deacon? And then lastly, is their purpose? So that's kind of our outline for the day. Um, I'll give it to you for the introduction. Yeah. So um, the idea or the word the term in the Bible used for deacon, it's uh, uh, it's a common term, but yeah, it's usually common. used in a non-technical way. Um, so the word in its simplest meaning, um, I th- people might not know this, it actually means table waiter. Right. Uh, so, or a servant who renders helpful service to others. So that's seen, for example, in John 2, 5, where Jesus is at the wedding uh, at Cana and Mary speaks to the servants. Uh, telling them to do what he asked. Um, it was taken up by the Christian church right away, that idea, that concept, um, and used for speaking of all types of people. Um, and that is because, uh, all because Christ said that if you wish to be great in God's kingdom, you must be uh, a diakonos um, of all. Uh, Which is where we get the word deacon. Of yeah. All. yeah, so Matthew twenty twenty six. Um, preachers and teachers are called servants or ministers in First. Corinthians 3, 5. So in one sense, you're a deacon. Yeah. Even though you're actually an elder. Right, yeah. Um, Paul refers to false teachers, this is interesting, as servants or deacons of Satan in 1 Corinthians eleven five. 5. Um, but at some point in time, it also began to refer to a specific group of people within local churches. And we see that, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where twice Paul speaks of deacons and lists the qualifications for those who wish or desire to become one. So uh, it's also worth noting that Paul gives the qualifications and for the office uh, of deacon, but only in the book of Ephesians. Is that? Yeah. 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 Um, in, in Titus, uh, he only lists out there the qualifications of an elder, um, but and, and likely they're due to just the needs of the church, uh, the larger, more complex that a church gets and becomes the more needed are official servants than therefore of right. that church. Which is why I'm starting to look at our church as it's growing and saying, I think we need to yeah. rethink this again. But um, people may not understand that, that 
technically the letter to Ephesians, the Ephesians was not written to the Ephesians. It, right. uh, we have actual manuscripts where the, the church's name was left blank. And, and so it was designed to be a circular letter throughout the Asia Minor, but most likely went first to Ephesus because if you guys know your history of Acts, Paul spent three years there in Ephesus, and during that time, he established the church in Ephesus. But then you'll also find that people from all over the place, because of the importance of the city of Ephesus, they came there and they spent time being trained by Paul, and then they went back into Colossae or Crete or wherever. Um, and so it was a much, much more mature, larger, complex entity. Crete, which is where Titus was sent to, was a very new church, very young and very small. So that's the point that you're making is um, Crete was so small, there was not that need, whereas likely in Ephesus and the more mature churches, that issue became became a point. Right. So let's ask some questions. Um, The first one was, from where then do deacons come? And the passage most people will take you to is in Acts 6, chapter chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Uh, I'm not going to quote it, but it's the one where the Hellenistic Jews, there became a problem, and they, they complained that their widows were being overlooked in the giving out of the food. If you guys know your book, uh, the book of Acts well, you know that early on the people would sell property and possessions, and they would then have the apostles disperse that to anyone who had a need. And there was a large contingent of uh, Hellenistic Jews. These were people who lived in other nations, other countries, and they had traveled on, to come and celebrate the day of Pentecost. They heard the gospel. They were saved on, in Acts chapter 2, and they have not left and so they're in a very unique situation because they don't have jobs, they don't have homes, they don't have anything. And so they're, they are there and they need to be cared for, and the church was doing that. But over time, uh, the Jewish good Israeli Jews were overlooking the Hellenized Jews, and, and they, were, they were just simply being ignored. And so it became a problem. Now, the problem is we don't know for sure that this is where the office of deacon originated, but it's usually viewed as such. Even if it's not, because they don't use the word deacon here, it appears rather that they were at least like proto-deacons, and that's how we're going to deal with it. So we said the Hellenistic Jews complained their widows weren't being cared for. Um, Apparently, it was the native Jews that handled the giving out of the food, Uh, and that made sense because they actually lived in Jerusalem and the others were visitors. Um, Regardless, the people became frustrated and concerned, so they went to the leadership who were the apostles, and they asked for help. And it's somewhat interesting to know how quickly the problem arose. So in that chapter 2, everyone's sharing and sharing alike, and now we're in chapter 6 and not so much. It doesn't take long. <laughs> no, yeah. it doesn't. And and part of that is really, I, I we, we wouldn't say racism, but it's kind of like that. Um, it's that they were seen as a lesser Jew. That I mean, these were people who didn't come back to the motherland, and and they were and they they carried with them a lot of traditions and attitudes that were very much part of their home country. Um, and so they didn't fit in well, and they stuck out like a sore, th- sore thumb. You, there was no question in anyone's mind if you were a Hellenized Jew because uh, Aramaic. 
and Hebrew would not be your first languages. And um, you wouldn't be used to just the customs of that. And again, you and I travel internationally, so we know how quickly we feel out of sorts Mm -hmm. in any nation because we just don't know what's going on. Um, So there's the concern. The apostles then uh, had this problem dumped on their lap, and they were concerned, and rightly so, because it was taken away from their primary role uh, of prayer and the Word. And so they said, it's not desirable for us to do this. Uh, It's not proper, literally, the word desirable there means it's not proper or fitting. Now, the caring of the widow is actually good and fitting. Uh, James one twenty seven says it's pure, undefiled religion. So it's not that they don't they don't need to be bothered with this. This is a waste of their time and deal get over it. The problem was that at this point the church had grown and it was to the point where it was going to take away from their ability to do what their role is. And I think that's important for us to consider, uh, especially when a church thinks about what should elders be most busy doing. Uh, we, we, we need to guard against using this, though, as an elder, as a rationale to do no works of mercy, right? I mean, I could take this and say, sweet, <laughs> I don't have time for that. But it's also too often assumed by people today that pastors are the ones who should be doing all of these works of ministry, and um, and the result of it is that it creates all kinds of problems. Let me turn my sound off as alarms are going off. Um, many a man actually today has lost his position because he's not doing enough in the way of holding widow's hands or going and doing hospital visitation. There needs to be a balance. So you need to think about what does that pastor exist to be? And it's not so that everyone else can go watch football. Um, You know, a thing I'm thankful for, Missio Day has, I mean, I've been here almost a quarter of a century, and from day one, they always wanted me to study. They always wanted me to teach, and they gave me the time, and a lot of churches don't do the, their pastors, so I'm in, eternally grateful for that. Now, we've shown in our podcast on elders that there's a good reason to see that the apostles transferred their leadership over to the elders uh, as they would move on to other churches or other areas that needed to be strengthened. And so Peter himself actually identifies himself both as an apostle and a fellow elder in First Peter 5. So by Acts 15, uh, at that great uh, council in Jerusalem, the responsibility of overseeing the Jerusalem church was shared with the apostles and elders. And and if you read that passage, you'll see almost no distinction between their duties. So mm-hmm. by as the church aged and matured, the elders were rising up and they were functioning alongside the apostles. The apostles were very unique, but they also took on that role of an elder and they had shared that with other elders. Right. Um, so that's a problem. Yeah. So what's the solution? Um, well, in that passage, seven men were then appointed to oversee that task. Uh, and and note, they, they were put... And you um, know that they chose seven because that's the number of perfection. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you should write a book. Um, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and note in there that they were put in that position of oversight um, but for a specific type of ministry, um, the term put in charge, as it's phrased, means to be appointed to do something uh, with authority. Uh, but what should also be understood is that it was 
a delegated authority. That's, and that's important. Yeah. So don't don't miss that. It's a delegated authority, but it was authority. Right. Uh, note also that it does not say that they were to actually be dispensing the food uh, themselves, though they might do that. However, we doubt that that would be the case uh, because the number of people in that church, remember, now several thousand. Yeah. Uh, so probably better they were to be they were they were problem solvers um, in in the care of the widows uh, is how you could understand it and it's reasonable to to conclude that that's the primary function of deacons um, because solving problems are affecting the health and the ministry of the church at large. Uh, a point of interest uh, there is that the names of all seven of those men are Greek names. Did you point this out already? No. Um, yeah, it it's really a cool little. Subpoint though, yeah, uh, you know, so it appears that they were godly men. They they were men of good reputation, if you will, um, but they were men who were Hellenistic Jews, um, and and why? Well, likely so that they would make certain to actually care for those suffering widows uh, who were Hellenistic Jews. You know, let's let's bring that into the day real quickly. Um, let's say you had a mixed race, multi ethnic church. Right, which is what if you're going to preach the gospel, you you sent me that picture of people in your church, and you were like, "Look how diverse we are," and and, and just from preaching the gospel, it's not like you're trying, right, uh, figuring out what's the proper ratio. Uh, <laughs> it's just by preaching the gospel, um, it's reflecting the people around you. You have a mixed race area, and and right. multiple ethnic uh, groups are now represented. Um, but let's just say that you had, like, you have some Hmong people, and and they were somehow being left out. Um, what what the church in Jerusalem actually did was one of the things that they decided to do was, well, let, let's make certain we know that we're taking care of the Hmong people, so we will select godly men who are Hmong themselves, and that way it can make sure it, it, it you know it would it would it goes a long way in making certain that we are showing hey we we value all the races because in fact there's only one race the human race and and i i, I just think it's a neat little picture of how the early church said crud it is wrong and so they they took went the extra mile they didn't just get godly men they made certain they got godly hellenistic jews right 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 anyhow um yeah yeah uh, and then lastly, you can see there that there's no distinction between, you know, what, you, what you'll often call the spiritual and the secular divide. Um, you know, so whether it's prayer or it's teaching the scriptures or, or it's something like distributing food to the poor, uh, all of that is ministry through the power of God for his glory. Um, and so by coming to that solution, the apostles would then be able to devote themselves to their primary task, which right. was the Word of God and prayer. Right. All right, so we can make some initial conclusions here. First, it would seem appropriate to conclude that these men were to oversee and handle those ministries within the church that would direct the attention and energy of the apostles away from their work. Um, notice also, though, that the church didn't seem to see this. The apostles had to come to that conclusion and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> okay, we have too much on our plate." Um, we also see that there is a distinction that's being made between the various types of ministry that will occur in the church. Uh, there is that which pertains to the spiritual care and feeding of the people of God, and there is that which pertains to the practical—not secular, but just the practical needs and functions of the church—and and 
you can't teach and devote yourself to prayer if you're busy meeting all of those practical needs. And so it's also appropriate to note that the ministry they were to care for was what one man uh, called a ministry of deeds, uh, to provide loving service to needy brothers and sisters in Christ. That's Alexander Strauch in his book, The Ministers of Mercy. Um, One thing that stands out in the Bible is that this required that they be of a high moral character. The men in Acts 6 were godly men. And what we will see next is that Paul gives very clear objective standards for those who want to serve in this formal capacity of being a deacon. Right. So that then leads to the question, who then may be a deacon? Uh, And for that, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 is the passage to go to. Uh, Let me read it. It says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be uh, husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. Those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So here you have the objective qualities or qualifications of a deacon. Um, you know, so this now moves you from thinking that so-and-so is just a great guy or is always there to serve or is really good with money to now you're looking at certain objective qualifications that must be present. Uh, So there in verse 8, an important word that we often skip over, it's the word likewise. Uh, In fact, we we always argue that in our Bible studies, right? We always ask a person, what's the key key word here? And they're they're coming up with atonement. (laughs) Uh, uh, And nope, nope. And it's always those little ones that our eyes pass over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I even just said the smallest words are sometimes the most important. Yes. Um, but here, yeah, it's the word likewise, and it, it literally means, as you think it means, in like manner. Uh, and in this context, it immediately follows the discussion that Paul just had on elders and their qualifications. And that is important because right in the middle of uh, this passage, it shifts from men uh, to all of a sudden just apparently women. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, again, to introduce that little section on women in the middle, he uses or includes the word likewise as well. Yep. Um, and we'll deal with that in a moment. Uh, so what are these uh, qualifications? Well, the first one is that they must be dignified. Uh, these are people who are respectable in their lifestyle, they're respectable in their speech. And it's worth noting that in the New American Standard, uh, they choose to say men of dignity, but it, it, what you should know there is the word men uh, is not actually in the original. Uh, and, the, yeah, and we're going to make an argument about as to that. why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ESV does a good job; uh, just simply renders it merely as dignified. Uh, and so, th- this right here is is a general character issue. The person is to have good character, um, so they're not just silly for silly's sake. Um, there's an ability actually to command a certain respect. Um, they're also not to be double tongued, uh, literally to say things twice. Uh, it's the idea of being hypocritical, uh, lying, insincere, deceitful, uh, speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Uh, You could just phrase it that way. Yeah. Uh, Next one is they're not to be addicted to wine. 
that simply means they're not to be drunks. Uh, <laughs> this is not, not very deep here. Yeah, they're they're not to be controlled by wine. Um, behind that's the greater issue of what's the character issue there? They just need to be a person of self-control. Right. So he also then goes on and says, not fond of sordid gain. Well, why is that important? Well, it's a character issue, um, but also because they're going to handle money. Um, I mean, if if the deacons were being described in Act 6, then large sums of money was coming into their hands so that they could buy and then disperse food and stuff. So you don't want this to be um, an issue. Uh, we actually had a, a problem with that um, at a church I used to work at, and they they had large offerings. Uh, a weekly offering was close to 200000 and there would be large sums of money. And so they actually had police in the room while they counted and everything. I, had, I mean, they had yeah. to do it. But they discovered a guy who literally was palming money by having tape on his palm. And as he's counting, he's palming money. And they, it actually got him on tape and had him arrested and the whole thing. Uh, we don't want that. <laughs> That's not what you're looking for. Um, the money that they're going to handle will be God's money, and it's given to the Lord by God's people. And so we want a man who's going to show um, faithfulness in that, not an inordinate interest in making or keeping money. He should be uh, free from that. A deacon also needs to be a generous person, a person who loves money but is never true. Uh, no, what I mean to say, a, a person who loves money is never generous, not truly. Um, the next qualification is that they are holding fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery here, um, we don't have time to develop all this, uh, refers to the revelation that's given in Christ, the substance or the essence of Christianity, or what we've called in the past, the faith. Mm -hmm. um, there are some technical issues with this verse as to whether the genitive faith, uh, the mystery of the faith, that's a genitive. Um, is it a objective genitive or a subjective genitive? And, and I'll explain what the difference. If it's an objective genitive, then the point is about the truths of Christianity, uh, that he has a deep grasp of the fullness of biblical truth. If it's a subjective genitive, um, and it it's the context that's going to de decide this, then the point is about the potential deacon's personal faith in Christ, that he is holding on by faith to Christ. And, and we would argue that it seems best that it's a subjective one for the deacon. He's not to be considered a teaching. This is not one uh, a teaching office. That's not one of the requirements. Uh, it seems strange that deacons would actually be required to have a deep understanding of biblical doctrines when that's not even required of the elders that they just went into describing. Right. Uh, the elders are the ones teaching. Uh, in other words, then, the point is that the deacon must be the one who guards his relationship and walk with the Lord. Uh, he is a, a person who has a deep, abiding walk and seeks to not do anything that would harm it. And then also, he must be tested first, uh, literally to be, uh, be examined. Uh, a deacon is to go through a time in which he is essentially investigated, and that's a, that would we would argue is a task first and foremost of the elders, but then even the church. Um, the word also, uh, because it, he is to be um, also tested, points back to the fact that the elders are to be tested as well. And Paul wants them to know that they need to do the same thing for the deacons. 
so there's no indications on how that examination is going to happen. So some recommend that he be questioned verbally on the basics of faith and his walk. Others will say the same but in a written format, so they're given a theology exam. Uh, others would say it's and it's just enough to watch the person carefully over time, especially during difficult times, to see how a person responds. That's actually where I don't know where you land on that. That's where I land is um, you're not making a person a deacon because he's been coming to church for a couple of weeks. You know, he's a really nice guy. Um, you're looking at a person who's entered into life and you're watching them deal with trials and difficulties and challenges and blessings. And, and, and that's what you want is you're examining them and making certain that this is a person that doesn't just have a personality that lends itself to service, but he has a godly character. Um, also, that at issue is the examination is a very broad term of being above reproach. Uh, he is to be a person of high moral character, uh, no area, in other words, in his life that should be subject to biblical criticism, legitimate criticism. Um, now, we're not talking about perfection, but we also do not mean to overlook the issues that are sinful that a, a, a man struggles in. If, if he's not there um, yet spiritually, and he's not ready. Uh, examples would maybe be in a propensity toward anger, uh, a bad relationship with his wife, or a tendency toward gossip, or poor money management. Uh, any of those types of things that we're seeing as we examine, it, we're like, you, you need to work on these areas in your life, get them stronger before we move you into that place. Yeah. Uh, he's also to be a one-woman man, uh, and that is the same qualification that you see given for an elder as well. The, the point there is that he is to be one who's utterly faithful to his wife. Uh, part of this also, you, you have to consider the divorce issue. Um, we would hold that if there was a divorce prior to salvation, uh, then it may not disqualify him. Uh, if, if the divorce occurred sometime after uh, they came to faith, and it was unbiblical, then he is disqualified. Uh, also, if there was an unbiblical remarriage after he came to salvation, uh, that too also would make him disqualified. Um, next, he's also one who is to manage his home and his children. Uh, again, you see that in, in practical way here. Uh, the, the children and the home are windows to how a man truly acts and how he lives. Um, so if you see children who are out of control, um, we would say that there are some concerns as to how the man exercises his headship then within his home. If his home is one that's just fallen apart and if it's unkept, uh, or if the finances are in disarray, then there's some real concerns there as to how he would manage the finances and facility of the church. Okay. So with so far, we've been talking primarily just like men. Uh, we would argue that the first few qualifications are general. Uh, you're dignified things like that. Uh, but then it got into some specific to male. I mean, you have to be a husband of one, a wife. That That's obviously male. But then he picks up, likewise, women. And so what do we do about deaconesses? And there are two different views in this, uh, how we deal with this. What do we do with the qualifications of the uh, women? The first is that this is speaking of the wives of deacons. Uh, and this is fairly popular. The basic idea is that behind the nature of this office as official servants of the church, that there are going to just be certain tasks that are better suited to a woman or that, or that the deacon would need the help of his wife at times. Um, now, the ESV uh, 
unfortunately chose to translate it as wives, the Greek term, which is a bit annoying to me uh, because it, it it's such a popular translation, but it actually inserts more of an interpretive translation here. Uh, they do the same thing in 1 Corinthians 11 about head coverings, that the wives are to have their heads covered. And it's like, I don't think that's at all what that text is saying, but it sure looks like I'm tearing down the Bible as a pastor because I have to now explain that, yeah, that's what they translate, but that's not actually necessarily the term. So, well, because the it's the word gune, uh, right? So, which which could mean wife or it could mean woman, right? Which right. is what makes context, it, yeah. And it doesn't say wives here, and 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 so they're assuming the context is well. These are the wives of the deacons. Um, now, there's arguments for this view. The first would be that qualifications come right in the middle of the deacons' qualifications. And if that if it was for deaconesses, then they should have been set apart in a separate category. Um, the nature of the work of deacons requires help from their wives, such as the care of the sick or widows or orphans. And so they think it's a natural understanding. Um, again, what you just said, the generic term refers to a woman or wife. If Paul was referring to deaconesses, then he should have used the feminine form of diakonos. Um, Okay, so that's their arguments. Uh, the arguments against that view uh, is then, should all deacons be married? If the assumption is that at times a man will not be able to best fulfill his tasks, then apparently so. Notice that uh, Paul also listed general qualifications for the deacons. Then he, uh, prior to discussing um, these, the women, he does some qualifications that are uniquely male-oriented. And so what what we're arguing is that he starts with general, then he deals with some things that the men need to qualify for. Now he's dealing with the women, uh, what they need to. Um, also, there's no discussion about the qualifications of elders' wives. And we would, we would just say, don't they help? <laughs> um, and they do, right? You, you lean on Lydia a lot. Uh, to help you, I have many a time. There's times a conversation will occur in our home where I'll tell my wife, I'll just say, sweetheart, uh, this situation rose up. Uh, I need you to make an appointment with her, have her over, and, and just see how you can help her. Because uh, it's not appropriate for me to be dealing with the situation. So why are there no qualifications for the wives of an elder if that's what the argument is for um, the deacons. And then grammatically, there's no article or possessive pronoun, meaning the wives or their wives, uh, that creates a normal, natural connection back to the deacons. So that's the pros and cons of a wife. The other view is the office of deaconess, um, which is what we hold to. Uh, this view sees that there are areas of responsibility and ministry that are perhaps better uh, overseen by women, and therefore within the church, specific women would be recognized as official servants just like the men. Now, so our arguments, uh, it appears that there is a mention of a deaconess in Romans 16.1 where Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centria. Um, and so he's actually marking out a specific woman and calling her a servant or a deacon of the church. Um, the word servant is the same that we're using, just the feminized form. Notice also that she's uniquely picked out, and the term servant is much like a title. Um, then we have the term for likewise. It's used in chapter 3, verse 9, to introduce the deacons versus elders. 
And so just like he's saying, okay, here's the qualifications for the elders. Now we're having it for the deacons and also the women. And so because we're still dealing with deacons, we would argue it, it it's now the female deacons. Uh, what are the arguments against it? Well, there's little historical evidence for the existence of such an office. Um, that's not really a compelling argument because it's an argument from silence, so it cuts the other way. Mm -hmm. That doesn't prove one way or the other. Romans 16.1, they would say, can be also just taken to mean that Phoebe was a servant merely in a general sense. And that's correct. It's possible. But it's also noteworthy that she is marked out for recognition and given the verbiage, uh, the church's servant in Centria. I mean, it's literally that church's servant, and it's a very official uh, way that it's being rendered. And then lastly, uh, although the term likewise every other time refers to a unique group, the fact that these qualifications are parenthetical seems to indicate that these are at best assistants or wives of deacons. And we would just say, eh, that's not proven anything. Yeah. So what, what, where do we land? Uh, we would say that the arguments for the office of a deaconess is stronger than the arguments for deacon's wife. Um, so we also believe that the primary reason that most churches are worried or against or are against deaconesses is because their deacons are given actual oversight or responsibilities that are properly found with elders. Which we started out at the beginning. They, a lot of deacons function more like quasi-elders. Yeah. And that and they shouldn't. Right. Um, so obviously the other scriptural passages relating to the role of men and women within the church come into play. Um, a preeminent one is in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, where they're explicitly teaching and authoritative leading, leading is prohibited when men are involved, uh, meaning women cannot teach or exercise authority yeah, over he, a man. Yeah, he says, I don't permit this. Right. Uh, we would also argue that most churches who do not operate with deaconesses actually have them. <laughs> um, they just don't call them that by name. Um, one would, you know, someone who oversees Sunday school, Ministry yeah. or, or greater nursery. ministry, or nursery, yeah, exactly. ministry. That's a really, yeah. It's almost always a woman who heads up the meal trains, and nobody thinks of her exercising authority, but right, she She's does serving. have authority. Yeah, but but we'll talk about that delegated authority. Yeah, and yeah. so it's like just have a godly woman involved there. Call her what you want. I don't really care, uh, but <laughs> but you got them functioning yeah, in your know, church, like tricking God or something. Yeah. Um, so qualifications then for deaconesses. Um, well, first of all, they're to be dignified. Uh, these are women who are respectable in their lifestyle and in their speech. Uh, these are women who have good character. Uh, importantly, they're also not to be malicious gossips. Uh, the word there is the word for slandering, uh, the cutting and ripping of others with your mouth. Um, this is expected of all believers. Um, but especially for a woman to be a deaconess or to be the type of older woman who is to be training the younger women as laid out there in Titus chapter two and verse three. Uh, and that's an important one. Certainly men have a problem with this, with their tongues, right? Um, but in the scriptures, uh, they tend to target women on this one more. Yeah, And, and in a, the role of a deaconess, they are going to get into sensitive issues, right? They're going to be coming and hearing a wife who's young, struggling with some way as they're ministering to them. And, and, and you want a woman who is able to control her mouth and, and not start talking about things that ought not to be talked about or sharing secrets that don't need to be 
talked about. Yeah. Uh, another qualification there is uh, there to be temperate. Uh, now that could be taken in a literal or a metaphorical sense. If it's understood literally, then it's the idea that she is not to be given toward drunkenness. If it's metaphorical, then the idea is that she is to be sober-minded and stable. Which way you land? I tend to lean toward that one because I do think these are more character qualifications. Yeah, I, and I also I lean that way too because it also then covers the drunkenness. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, right. If she's sober-minded and stable, then she's not tossing back five shots of what, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, lastly there, she is to be faithful in all things. That's a broad one, huh? Yeah. Um, that just carries the idea of trustworthiness. Uh, there's a reliability in her. This also covers a massive amount of territory in the women's life and activities. Obviously, to serve in an official capacity as a servant of the body of Christ, she needs to have lived in a faithful manner. Yeah, and I, in fact, uh, something that just came to my mind I mean, that's that, That's a huge one, that one. That one is such a big loop that covers her whole life. If it's only dealing with the wife of the deacon, then, boy, that makes it tough because not just a deacon can be qualified, but his wife has to have all these qualifications too, which is, again, fascinating because that makes the qualification to be a deacon harder than the qualifications for an elder because it's all upon the man in in the qualification of the elder. It's not his wife. It's not his children. It's it's him, really. Is he able to run his home with dignity? But if you want to be a deacon, you can't, I mean, your wife has got to have her all of her qualifications in order too, versus if it's a deaconess, now we're looking at her as an individual and can she serve? Because she might have an unbelieving husband or something like that, but she herself is are these, qual- she meets these qualifications and yeah, can be recognized. Something else yeah. to think about. Now, a couple other points here that we want to make. Um, we mentioned the issue that some will have for a woman to be a deacon uh, because of the First Timothy 2, where the women are not permitted to teach or have authority over men. We don't debate that. In fact, we're in an upcoming podcast, we're going to talk about the role of women in the church. Uh, the context, though, is within the local church, and it's something that should be taken very seriously, and unfortunately, it's not today. What we would say, though, is we would point out that there's a difference between authority that exists in its own right and a delegated authority. And and we would just ask, if you're already not happy with us, just think about that, because uh, an elder has an authority given to him by God. It's a delegated authority, but it's, it's resident within him. I am an elder, and I have authority, and you are to submit to me. Uh, but there are also times where people have authority because it's been given to them. And uh, an elder, simply by virtue of his office, again, he's an authority figure. A teacher, by virtue of being the one teaching and not learning, is an authority figure, which is what Paul is getting at. When when I sit down with a mixed group of people and I'm teaching, I, we, you and I, I know actually have dealt with this, where um, I've got an upcoming Bible study. We're going to start going through the book of Hebrews. And invariably, early on in our study, I'll get a person out there during the Q&A time where people can ask me anything, that you ask me a question about such and such in your home and how would you handle this, and I answer it. And then some helpful person says, you know, I'd like to, I think I could help here. Let me add. <laughs> and it's like, I, and I had to pull that person aside after class and say, look, you're not the teacher. And I appreciate your effort and desire to help there, but one, don't. 
because you're not the one teaching and you're not a position in authority. And sometimes they actually go contrary to what mm-hmm. we would we would instruct. Um, but when you make a person, whether it's male or female, and they're asked, hey, we need you to oversee the nursery or you need to oversee the community will, mill, meals, we would call them potlucks, um, they also have authority. Um, but it's a whole different kind of authority. In our context at Missio Day, we would just simply say it's a delegated one. So the lady who oversees our nursery, she can look at them and say, look, you can't work in here or you can't be in here because you have not yet had a criminal background a check on you. And what, what some guy going to say, you have no authority over me. Be gone, oh Jezebel, right? <laughs> it's like if he's got a half a mind, he realizes she's in charge, mm-hmm. and he submits to that. Well, has he, have we violated Paul's command? No, because she's actually carrying out the demands and commands and standards of her elders. Uh, mothers and wives do this all the time. Um, we, we see the office of a deacon as completely being a delegated authority where they're asked to relieve responsibilities off of the elders uh, by serving in this way. So it's not a separate branch of authority. It's not like in, in our country technically, although it's all screwed up now, that the office of president and the legislative uh, branch and the judicial branch are all three co-equal branches. Uh, the deacon board is not a co-equal yeah, branch. With this the isn't elders. a separation of powers with checks and balances. Yeah, well, right. it, and that's how a lot of churches function is their yeah. job is to keep the elders in line. No, their job is not. Their job is to come alongside the elders as the elders shepherd and lead the church, and their job is to be, in a sense, the hands and feet yeah. of the elders. And I hope people can see that difference. And then, and then I'll just throw in there, and I know that you obviously agree with this 100%. Uh, you're also not saying that somehow the authority, the buck stops with you as elder. You would also under, say that even as elder, your authority is a derived one from Christ. Right. So, and just to clarify, because there's probably someone who's like, well, what about elders? Are they not derived as well? well yes, from Christ. <laughs> right. Uh, so, no, you're not saying no. you're... But yes, but what I am also saying is that it's still different in the sense that you don't have, like Hebrews says, submit and obey your leaders, right? Right. It's like, it's not like, well, if you decide to, it's you're actually expected to submit to them, give them honor and do and stuff. You don't see that being directed toward the deacon. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So it's maybe if you want to say it, ours is almost kind of, well, this is off the top of my mind, so maybe I'll go heretical here. But, you know, um, in 1 Corinthians 11, the man was created for God and the woman was created for man. I mean, you see this flow. It doesn't make her inferior, but you can hate that passage if you're an egalitarian, if you know what that means. But it still says what it says. Right, right. And, and so the authority of the elder is given by God, and then the authority of the deacons are being given, if you will, by the elders. And right. so it's like a second or tertiary delegated. Um, right. Yeah, okay. So in light of all this, it's important for those who serve as deacons, whether it's official or in principle, to make sure that they are in conformity with the expectations and standards of the elders. Uh, It means that elders are not to act like many husbands, where they leave things up to their wives and then complain when things are not how they want it to be, or say something very foolish like, well, that was not my idea, my wife did that. It's like, no, you did that. 
that's your home. Well, the elders can't say that either. They, they don't offload load good and necessary things off onto others because they don't like the job. What they offload onto the deacons are the things that actually are impinging on their central responsibilities of shepherding the flock. But it also means that those serving the church and relieving the elders of certain tasks or responsibilities don't decide to set up their own little fiefdom, uh, right? Well, it, that's what happens. Uh, you're laughing over there. Uh, no, ex- I like that word. Oh, you yeah. like that? That's yeah. a good word. Um, an example of that is a person leading the Sunday school, and they demand their own way or the highway regarding curriculum choices or how to mediate a problem uh, with a teacher or parent. It's like, no— you need to go to the elders and get direction so that, one, the elders know of this shepherding issue, and two, you know you have the full support of the elders. Not, nothing annoys me more than somebody takes it into their own hand completely, and then it comes back to me, and it was so poorly handled, and now we're having to— Clean it up anyway. Yeah. Clean it up, yeah. Um, we actually had that early on in our church. I, I had a woman who was seen by many to be a great theologian. She wasn't. Uh, <laughs> And she was, um, she had a Sunday school for women, and I didn't like it, but, you know, I had bigger fish to fry at the time. And one day, my secretary was making copies of some material, and I I was concerned because I wanted to see if it was copywritten. It's like you can't just (laughs) copy and distribute. And when I picked it up, it was a booklet by a guy named E.W. Kenyon. Do you know who he is? Mm -hmm. He is a forerunner, and he was the guy who influenced the whole Word of Faith movement. And he had some horrendous, blasphemous ideas. And people like uh, Hagen, um, I can't remember his first name, um, who is the father, really, of the Word of Faith movement, and then Kenneth Copeland, and now Joyce Myers and Joel Olstein. they're all blasphemers, and they all come from E.W. Kenyon, and she's teaching his material. And I'm like, what? And so I had to sit down and meet with her and explain to her the blasphemy, the errors, and tell her you cannot and will not teach us. And from here on out, before you decide to teach something, bring it by me so I can make sure it's solid. She left the church, um, at which I was quite happy. Um, it's like, see ya. Anyhow. Yeah. Oh, my turn. It's your turn. So what, <laughs> <laughs> so what is... What is <laughs> We're well-oiled here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so what's, what is their purpose... Um, well, when you boil it all down, first of all, what is the relationship with the elders and the shepherds of the church? They're to be in a close relationship with the elders and shepherds. Uh, they should be seeking to cooperate and submit and also encourage the elders. So they should be actively seeking to relieve the elders of their duties uh, that take away from the task of shepherding the people. Um, and if we're correct in our understanding of Acts chapter 6, this is why the deacons came about. And it's not hard to recognize one who's kind of given to that because yeah. they're doing that before they're even granted that. It's formal. just like an elder. Yeah. A, a good elder, when you select them to be an elder, most people are like, kind of thought he was. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're doing anyway. Right. right. Um, a simple illustration uh, might help here. Uh, the reason elders uh, are to have good management is because they must be able to manage the household of God. Uh, in other words, they function as fathers in a way in that local church. Well, the office of deacons function uh, sort of like a wife in a household. And this is where people start giggling. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but the congregation, if you think about it, they're made up of, of children, spiritual children yeah. in various stages of spiritual maturity. 
Um, so just like a wife comes alongside her husband to help, and, and she's carrying out the desires and needs of her husband, a deacon has come alongside the elders that, to help carry out the, the care of the church. Yeah. Just like it, a home. Yeah. It's it's a subordinate role, but it's not an inferior no, role. No, it's an awesome role. Yeah. Uh, I think people like sometimes think like eldership is the touchdown, right? Yeah. And it's just bad thinking. Well, and a lot of people treat in churches that, well, we'll make you a deacon first and then you'll graduate. Prove yourself. And yeah. Then, then we'll make you like it's like the PhD. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no. Right. Especially when you understand that Christ himself was the model servant right. or deacon, right? Right. You, you, you actually model him more in a way. Um, early on, uh, a church is often small, uh, too small to really need deacons, but as it grows, to your point earlier, so does the need now for them. Uh, and again, probably why Titus has no mention of deacons, while First Timothy does, uh, speaking there into the context of Ephesus. Um, so that's the relationship to elders. What about the relationship then to the body of the church? Uh, well, they are to have a, a priority uh, of concern over the physical needs of the people. Um, so here's what uh, Alexander Strauch, Strauch, Strauch or Strauch? Strauch. Strauch says. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he was my pastor slash elder when I was a boy. That's right, yeah. And that's what we called him. Yeah. Well, then we'll... We'll go Your with word it. is authoritative. Uh, <laughs> he says, we must not forget that the real treasures of the church are its people, not its pews and buildings. Yet so often the needy are left unattended and the church building receives priority attention both in time and funds. And That's what a good statement. Yeah. Uh, what he's dealing with that is a lot of times deacon boards are nothing more than building and ground, facilities, and finances. And and so they, they become, functionally, they're just kind of doing administrative work. And his argument is no. A deacon that they may do those things, but that's not the prior priority for them. It's always how can we facilitate the care of the people, and so it might be making the building attractive, like the grounds and stuff like that, and overseeing that. But it's not so that we can have an attractive ground, but that we can have a a, a building and grounds that invite people to come and relax. Yeah, it's a blessing to the yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So some suggestions of this. Um, so a collector of funds, um, dis- distributors of care and relief, um, practical outreach to jobless, the sick, the widowed, elderly, homeless, shut-ins, disabled, uh, single parents, baptism, membership inquiries, ushers, and then official greeters. So the whole whole arena of, of responsibilities here. Hey, I, so I just learned something. Uh, we have a an African-American lady in our church named Linda, just a dear, dear, sweet lady. She comes from the the black church world, and she and I have had a lot of conversations where she just says, well, what about this, Pastor? What about that? Because she's figuring out we're a much more white church, <laughs> and so she and I laugh about that, and we have a lot of good conversations. So you notice on, on our celebration service that she was up on the stage, and she was handing the towels. And she's like, I, I told her, you know, she's like, well, I want to serve during the baptism. How can I? And she's like, can I be the nurse? And I'm like, I gave her this, like, totally dumb look. I'm like, the nurse? And she's like, yeah, can I be the nurse? I'm like, 
I have no idea what you're talking about, Linda. And she started laughing and because she knew it was my whiteness. <laughs> and she's like, well, in the black church, the nurse is the one who is there. And if you've ever seen a, 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 a typical, that's probably not a fair way of saying it, but black church, the pastor is very animated and he's preaching and he's mopping his face, you know, because he's sweating because he's got clothes on, all kinds, you know, right? Well, the nurse's job is to make certain that he is getting a towel and that he's uh, comfortable, that if he needs a cup of water, she brings it over, but also just the general care of those involved in the service. And that's just called the nurse. And I'm like, I never knew that. So I told her, you can be the nurse. She was so happy, but wasn't she faithful? Yeah. She just stood there, took and held everything as they got baptized. She made sure they got their glasses. I was just blessed watching. Well, it was so helpful because in past services, Usually after we baptize, we're like picking up the people's phones, their sandals, right. their towel, and then yeah. there she was. Yeah, and we had 13 people getting baptized. We didn't have time for it's that. quite efficient. It yeah. was, it, uh, and it just did my heart good because she was happy. I'm like, but that's the kind of thing of just serving the church. Yeah. So just some uh, in conclusion here, uh, this is the office of deacon or deaconess, uh, regardless of the position your church might take on women. Uh, it is a useful and necessary office as the church grows into more and more complexity. The The term is not what is important, uh, sort of like, you know, pastor, elder, overseer, so on and so forth. What matters is the office and the character. Um, in most churches, these men and women exist and function. They may have many titles attached to them, but when you strip it all away, you find that they're simply official servants of right. the church. And everyone recognizes them right. as such. Uh, it, it's a worthy office uh, and very much a worthy task. It puts feet to the teaching of the elders and it takes the burdens off the leaders so that they can lead better. Uh, and that makes everything just work better in the end. Uh, so that's enough probably for today. Uh, and then we'll, Lord willing, pick it up with Systematic Theology 3 again next time. Uh, but until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on deacons and deaconesses. Uh, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Mm -hmm.